filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Tonight against Trinidad and Tobago uh, in, in what cannot be called revenge for last year at Corva. Uh, the United States women's national team won. Hooray! And Alex Morgan uh, did a, a wonderful goal celebration that involved Homer Simpson running on the floor. Whoop, 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 whoop. Um, and it, 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 it's a great goal celebration. I encourage everyone to go watch it. Go find video of it. Uh, but it, it also reminds me of, of my buddy Max who at our friend's bachelor party in Columbus uh, a few years ago, dressed up as Duffman for no particular reason. He just... Yeah. (laughs) Precisely. And for whatever reason, people are like, hey, Duffman, do the thing on the floor. He's like, that's not (laughs) Duffman, that's Homer. And they're like, I don't care. He's like, fine. And he had to move like tables out of the way in this very German like sausage house restaurant and he did it and several people took video of this large gentleman dressed as duffman 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 Duffman. Uh, well duffman is the plural (laughs) he was a singular duffman doing this thing on the floor of this german restaurant um because people asked him to and he he likes being a crowd pleaser can I tell you guys, um, people mistaking Halloween costumes. Uh, one year, a friend of mine, this was in, this was in college, um, threw together very quickly threw together an, an Albert Einstein costume based on what was available at CVS on Halloween uh, afternoon. Um, but I mean, we're talking about a, a man uh, wearing a white, you know, Albert Einstein looking wig and a mustache and dressed in um, professorial sort of clothes. Um, and on our way back from a Halloween party, someone came up to him and was like, you're, you're that you're from the, and he's like, I don't know what that is. What is that? And, and, and he's like, yeah, happy birthday, Mr. President. And he's like, <laughs> are you, are you mistaking me for Marilyn Monroe? And he's like, yes, Marilyn Monroe. He's like, I am dressed as Albert Einstein, sir. Uh, I, in no way, uh, no matter how much you have ingested could possibly be seen to resemble Marilyn Monroe. And the guy's like, no, you look like her. And then he, he was gone. That was it. And it was like, where did this person learn what Marilyn Monroe looked like? Because like, was he wearing from the Albert Einstein museum? (laughs) Was he wearing a lab coat that might have looked like a dress or something? From- no, he was wearing like like a like a sport coat over like a button down dress shirt because that was all he had that he could throw together that looked like a professor might wear. Um, I mean, maybe he just wanted to to Im- Im- imbue sexy Albert Einstein. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. Sure. Look, if, if I that's am what the guy's actually into, positive then, that exists. Um, well, I'm sure it exists. Yeah, like if that's what if that's what that guy wanted, that's fine. But this costume, even if that's what was 
that this costume was not that costume. Um, this costume was very regular, very boring Albert Einstein. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and uh, confusing Halloween costume podcast. The I, I don't know. Uh, I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com. Tonight, we're talking about DC United and their two to one win over the Chicago Fire this weekend and uh, their upcoming visit from FC Dallas, Western Conference leading FC Dallas. Uh-huh. Um, before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? So, my in laws went to Scotland in August. And they had a great time. They were there for like two and a half, three weeks. Uh, my mother-in-law saw all of the Outlander sites she wanted to see. She They got to go to a lot of cemeteries because uh, she loves going to cemeteries. Uh, and they got me a bottle of scotch. Uh, as you may know, it is now October. Um, they gave the bottle of scotch to my sister-in-law, who also lives in Richmond. And she was... We were unable to connect for uh, two months to get that bottle of scotch from her apartment to our house, even though we've seen each other many times in that in between. It was just a comedy of errors of getting that scotch uh, back and forth. So now I have it. It is one of the peatiest and smokiest scotches I've ever conceived. It is a Talisker Dark Storm. It's from the Isle of Skye. Uh, it was. It is both very peaty and aged in charred oak casks, and it is exactly what I want out of a scotch: peaty, smoky, punching you in the face. It, it's it's great. Nice. I was I was actually low key hoping as that story went on that it was going to become your mint julep. <laughs> and I would I would never denigrate such a scotch into into a mixed drink. No, 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 no. It was going to be your quest. Oh, to, yes. To get a drink. It's like, and she wasn't able to pass it on to me. So I'm drinking Basil Hayden's Neat, which is a whiskey, but not at all the same thing. By right, the way, right, right. I am drinking Basil Hayden's Neat tonight. So, Jason, how about you? Uh, I am keeping it extraordinarily simple. Uh, I have some uh, Brooklyn Brewing Oktoberfest. Um, Sometimes you need an easy solution that is opening a beer and not to think. And that's, that's what I needed. And that's what I have. Yeah. I nearly had I, this weekend. I had a pumpkin beer that I liked for the first time ever. Okay. Um, was it Williamsburg ale works? It was pumpkin. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I forget who makes it. Uh, Southern tier. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I never actually enjoyed a pumpkin beer before before having that one this weekend. Was, I went away to Deep Creek uh, mm-hmm. with with a bunch of friends and, and oh, their nice. families. Um, we had ten adults and eight kids, okay. all four and under. Running this sounds around. like this sounds like the October equivalent of my beach trip. Yeah, that's that's kind of <laughs> what it is. It's a bunch of my college friends and a mm-hmm. couple of people who've joined our group over the years and um, spouses and. Uh, now kids and it was a lot of fun and m- much beer was consumed though less than before kids yes uh you just one of those beers yeah one of those beers was was pumpkin and it was it was pretty tasty which surprised me because i've never like i said enjoyed one before but i'm not yeah. drinking beer i'm drinking whiskey 
that's that. I feel like um, Pump King is one of the earlier ones that got widespread. Um, and that might be part of it is that someone someone took the time to really figure out how to do it rather than just saying, like, we need to put pumpkin in the beer somehow. Yeah, um, or pumpkin and spice, like not even pumpkin, yeah. just the spices. Um, but yeah, pumpkin is definitely one of the ones where um, it, the weather hasn't quite turned, though apparently by this weekend we will be in that kind of uh, the weather where I'm I'm into that. But like up at Deep Creek, that's like a 10 to 15 degree. Michael cometh. Yeah, once once the remnants of Michael pass through, it'll be yeah. it'll be fall beer season, and um, yeah, it wasn't that chilly up there, but the leaves had actually start, started changing, and that, yeah, that it, was, helps. it was cooler enough that uh, I felt pretty good uh, drinking that, especially um, in the evening. Anyway, uh, let's talk soccer. DC United made it a little tougher on themselves than they really needed to, but they. Got the job done, did what was needed to be done over the weekend, coming from behind uh, on a Rooney second half brace to beat the Chicago Fire 2-1 to Sunday afternoon at Audi Field. I watched this one on television because I was out in Western Maryland. Um, not DC United's best performance. I think that's been the the very first line of every soundbite from Ben Olsen, from every player involved. Um they got the three points despite not playing their best. And, and that's good coming from behind is, you know, you don't want to be behind, but once you're there coming back to win is good. Uh, but even with the, the bad, you know, the less than great performance, Jason, it, it looked from the eye test. And if you look at the stats afterwards, it looked like United really were the better team throughout this. Yeah, I think overall um, they were mostly better than Chicago. I have my concerns about um, their response to going down. I thought after halftime and before the Raheem Edwards goal, they were actually playing really well, but then they gave up a goal on the first attack. Chicago had mounted it in the second half, and I didn't like the 10 minutes that followed that. Um, Those were pretty worrisome, but, you know, overall the first half, I thought they had the better of it. after Rooney got the first goal um, from there, they lifted their play a little bit. It seemed like they just needed someone to sort of give them that little shake and, you know, Hey, we need to, we're better than this. We need to be a little better than this. It's not, you know, I think maybe it, my thoughts on this game are kind of summed up by um, watching the bench and watching Olsen when they made the sub right before the Rooney, uh, the first goal um, when Segura was brought off and Stieber was brought on and, um, the language from the the bench was basically they, they waved, you know, Olsen was jumping and waving to Segura to go off the other side. And it was, wasn't that he was mad at him. It was just, we need to up the tempo. We need to do something here to spark some, some sort of change here. And some of it just needed to be a little bit of a, you know, an attitude adjustment, um, a little focus Urgency. and intensity boost. Yeah. And, and, you know, giving that, you know, I don't think that, that, urgency, you know, you, you know, ur- urging Segura to leave the field on the other side. I don't think it played into the goal necessarily, but it was the right, the right thing to manage the group at the time. And I think maybe that's kind of reflects my th- thinking on the whole game is that, you know, they weren't bad. They just needed a little bit of a boost. And, and fortunately Rooney came up with the goods to give it to them. Yeah. There's a cliche that goals change games. And in this one, we saw an instance where a non-goal changed the game uh united scored on a really great counterattack of their own um lucho acosta 
gets forward and, and receives the ball, I think from Ariola or, or from Segura in transition, pulls it back, finds Wayne Rooney, first time finish, absolutely clinical. But on VAR, it was drawn back because Lucho Acosta was a judge to have fouled a defender during that, that breakout. And it, it was a nonsense call, I think. Uh, I, I don't know how you get called for a foul when you dodge someone. Even if you touch them, someone tries to hook you with their arm and you go around them and they fall right. over themselves clumsily because you are more athletic than they are uh, and have better balance. I don't see how that's a foul on you if you're Lucho Acosta. Ismail Elfat did not have a, a great game. It's a running theme for referees in DC United games the last couple months, it seems like. Um, I don't think we need to spend any more time than that on it. But uh, yeah, it was it was a rough call. And there were a few rough calls, I thought, from Elfath. It's frustrating that this was a VAR situation as well. Like, yes. It was not, it was given as a goal and overturned, right. which means they felt there was a clear and obvious uh, error in not calling a foul. But in that play, like Acosta's chasing the ball and Bronico is running into him. Um, if there's a foul, it's on Chicago. Like the best call would be to give advantage to DC and then it they was, score the goal so you don't do anything. Yeah, it should have been a goal for. United in a yellow card for I, Chicago. I wouldn't go as far as a yellow necessarily, but the advantage, um, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Elfath had seen the foul, he should have had both arms out and then DC scores and, you know, that's right. the end of it. Um, but yeah, the fact that he was even told to review that, which he was told by Mark Geiger. Mark Geiger, yeah. Um, so just take a second to sort of uh, scream into a pillow if you need to. Uh, and, but yeah. It was bad. Uh, I'm glad that it didn't cost DC, but uh, it almost did. It almost did. And, and, you know, you start to feel a little like it's like, I know there isn't that there's not a good MLS re. There's not a referee where you're like, Oh good. We got such and such. Um, but we're starting to run out of referees where you don't say, Oh no, we got such and such like the Elfath used to be in that category and he's drifting out of it. Alan Kelly, in my opinion, has drifted out of it over the last mm-hmm. 18 months. Um, we're, we're sort of running out of referees where I'm like, well, it could be worse. Um, can, we just bring a, can we bring Alex Proust back? I don't know. He wasn't actually that good, but I mean, at least he's, who do you guys, do you guys think that our, our episode where we, we kind of mocked the pro official <laughs> portraits with Roach, do you think that got passed around pro headquarters and they're taking it out on DC United? If, if so, I, I would apologize. I mean, I'm happy yeah. to apologize. For, I do for not apologize. Photos, I do not uh, apologize. Pictures <laughs> would be pretty bad as well. Edvin Jurasevich's picture is ridiculous. We're going to draw him. Jeff Gamble. Right. Jeff Gamble's picture is ridiculous. We have we have one Juan Carlos Rivera for this weekend. So it's already decided. Ben Ben has decided that uh, if we're going to go and have bad refereeing, we're going down with this ship because just um, look at I, Jeff Gamble's picture. <laughs> Anyway, this was this was another <laughs> have better day. fashion sense. We we've talked in in recent weeks about United's big guys, big names showing up, and and one in particular showed up on this night or this afternoon. Uh, Wayne Rooney, two goals. Uh, actually, could have had a couple more. The one that was disallowed, he he missed a one v one opportunity as well. Um, if Segura had found him on a. Uh, one play after Segura does really well to force uh, Schweinsteiger into a turnover. 
in his own end. And he goes 1v1 with the keeper. It could have been 2v1 if he had passed quickly enough to Rooney. Um, and instead, he shoots himself and hits the the crossbar. That could have been a goal for Rooney as well. Um, big day for, uh, for Waza. Yeah, I mean, he's continuing to prove and and that he was and is worth the money and he's continuing to prove uh people wrong who were like who were hesitant about his signing and I I, I wasn't the most hesitant but I was among the ones who was like ah, I don't know about this this he's he's kind of old he's kind of uh, slow I don't know about this but he's proven everybody wrong he's done a great job so far this year and I see no reason why he can't continue this down the road, at least for another season, because he is so obviously in in soccer intelligence level one or two steps above the vast majority of players in MLS. And so he's not having to do it on athleticism. He's doing it through soccer smarts, and he'll be able to do that for a while longer, and it's just great that we have him on our team and he's not on somebody else's team. One thing worth noting is it was a very hot day at uh, on yeah. Buzzard Point, and Wayne Rooney did this in the heat. One of the stories coming in about him was he can't do it when it's warm. He He's never performed well in summer tournaments for England. Uh, he He's never done well traveling long distances and you know that part remains to be seen because we've been on this amazing homestand for the second half of the season but he he came out when it was hot in dc in those long sleeves that he inexplicably wears everywhere and yeah and assad does it too yeah yeah assad's not 32 and from a cold country I mean, I, I think the crazier the crazier thing is actually the the photos of Rooney like out and about when it's just like he could wear whatever he pleases and he still opts to go for the sleeves. Um, Maybe he just I mean, he is from Liverpool. He might just sunburn really, really easily. And be. that is I mean, that yeah, is worse for him. It works for him. I mean, I, I mean, remember when when Dax McCarty played in D.C. for the all those five minutes, my mm-hmm. wife stood behind him in line at uh Taylor Gourmet at uh, the sandwich place, RIP, um, and, and and talked about how sunburned he was just mm-hmm. from training. This was early in the season too, so it wasn't even summer. It was just being outside in the the March and April sunshine was enough because Dax is a you know he's a redhead. He's a he's a very pale uh, guy. Right. I, I know I know so, why we traded him because Dero, but. I still imagine an alternate universe where we kept Dax and played him in his correct position. Because I, I still kind of like Dax. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I have... I'm I have not as fond of him. He, he took on the Red Bulls thing very uh, enthusiastically, did. which means yeah, he's not a he good did. person. <laughs> it's, it's conclusive in my book. Anyways, not a point here. Yeah. <laughs> ben Olsen made a couple changes to the lineup in this one, uh, mostly in response to the injury to O'Neill Fisher, who is out for the rest of this season and, and likely will miss the start of next season as well. Uh, first and most directly, he shifted Paul Ariola to right fullback for this one, rather than starting Kevin Ellis or Jalen Robinson out there. 
Ben, I know you have feelings about this. I do. I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, Paul Ariola is a great right winger. He is a good central midfielder. He's a decent right back. But I think on the balance, having him at right wing, the, the, the position that DC United paid DP money for him to occupy is his best position. And I think shifting him around dilutes that. And I think that Kevin Ellis is an acceptable enough replacement or Jalen Robinson is an acceptable enough replacement. And uh, we'll get into this now that he's healthy. Hope, uh, hopefully Nick DeLeon can just obliterate any need to have Ariola at right back ever again this season. But even with Nick DeLeon not available, I think every effort should be made to have Ariola at right midfield because even though he's proven to be decent to good at multiple other positions, this team clicks at another level. They play at a uh, beating Montreal 5-0 to zero level when Paul Ariola is at right midfield. And I think he has to be there and you have to alter other things instead of having, instead of altering Areola. I wonder how much of that decision and uh, the decision to start Segura at right midfield had came down to, to pace and, and speed because with Fisher and Areola, that right side is as fast as any, any side of the field for any team in the league. Those guys can just, they can burn. And, Segura, I think, is the fastest potential replacement for at either position. Um, and so I wonder how much of it was trying to deal with Sterling and and have some speed out there. Whether that was the right decision is another question, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out Ben Olsen's thinking, Jason. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of his thinking was basically down to... Um, expecting Edwards to get the start for Chicago. It wasn't certain, but expecting it. Um, and, and assuming that you're going to need someone pretty fast to keep up with him. Um, and Segura has been doing a lot of little things right lately. And I think um, this might've been an uh, attempt to reward him for that by giving him the start instead of uh, Zoltan Stieber. Um, I thought, in his own way, he had a very interesting game because it was so close to being a really, really good game. And if, um, you know, if, if not for the bad call on VAR, he's getting a hockey assist. He had, um, if not the direct assist to Rooney, then it definitely the most important, uh, pass in that sequence. Um, and, and then after that, the, the chance we mentioned before where, um, he did the work to get himself into a really good position, um, to to create a goal, it's just that that play has to end in a goal. If you're not going to pass to Rooney, which is what he should have done, um, then you definitely need to put the ball in the back of the net. And you know, yes, he beat the goalkeeper and hit the crossbar, and there's a little bit of bad luck in there. But um, if he makes the right choice, we don't really have to worry about uh, luck getting involved too much. Right. Um, but it's still like I would much rather be talking about how Segura was close to having a really good game than I would to be talking about him as in like, yeah, he was out there um, and that's it. Like the fact that he was in position to make a couple um, 
make, make a mistake like that and to not get the goal, uh, or, you know, to have the goal taken off, uh, that still indicates that he was doing a lot of stuff right. It was almost an inspired choice um, to to start him. So um, it's it's a little bit of a flashback to the early part of the season where Segura was maybe a little frustrating, um, but it's not because he's underperforming. It's because he's so close to being really, really, really good. Um, it's and more I think tantalizing maybe, than frustrating. Yeah, and, and you know, I can see Olsen also thinking that against a back four that isn't necessarily very physically robust, that playing someone like Segura who can really, you know, knock people aside. He's, he's a strong guy. He get, he gets a, he mixes it up pretty, pretty well in that regard, which is how um, he forced that turnover on fine. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think maybe that was a little bit of a part of it too, was that um, of of the two, who's going to be more of a problem for Chicago. And I think maybe the fire would have, even though Zoltan Stieber, I think, is the better player, I think they would have also been a little more comfortable against his type of player. Right. Um, that said, he comes Sarah. in and United score two goals. Right. So, um, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes you've got to think of it in terms of not just your starting 11, but every, you know, all 14 players that you're going to put into the game. Um, I don't know that he was necessarily having too much of a direct impact on um, that late game surge, but uh I do. I, I kind of. I'm curious to see if they stick with this lineup for next week, or if they maybe bring Stieber in and go for someone that's a little more um, sophisticated in the way he plays the game uh, for Dallas. Uh, that's going to be. That's a tricky de- decision to make. Uh, not a change to the starting lineup, but a change to the 18 and the the 14 players who get on the field. Nick DeLeon is back, and Woo! your your resident. Nikki Stan, that'd be me, uh, is real happy about it. Uh, I, the, the guy bleeds black and red, and it, uh, I'm really happy to see him back on the field. You could see the joy in his face uh, in, in just pictures after the game when the team goes and salutes the supporters. Uh, he, he finally got to do that because he was on the game day roster. He kind of finally got to be in that line and hold hands and, and you know, salute the, the fans. And he just looks so happy doing that. This is a guy who's in his first career goal, ran half the length of the field so that he could celebrate with the fans. Um, I, I, you know, I, I understand that he's been a frustrating player through, through his career as well, but there's, there's a reason he keeps getting on the field and there's a reason a lot of people are happy about it. And, and I'm one of those. Um, he, he's a, a, think Ben Olsen told Steve Goff that if Nikki is 60 minutes fit, then he's a candidate to start against Dallas. Uh, as, as Ben mentioned earlier, potentially at right back. Um, I can absolutely see that happening. He's a guy whose base fitness has always been pretty strong. And I know he's coming off a long layoff, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him in the lineup. I wouldn't be shocked to see him not in the lineup either so it's a it's a decision that benny's got to make and that nicky's got to you know be honest with his body about where he is in his recovery as well yeah i mean i could definitely see like 60 minutes of de Leon and then 30 minutes of move Ariola back and put in steber or put in kevin ellis or a, a lot of different options so if nicky can go that i think that allows DC United a lot of options that they wouldn't otherwise have right now. Yeah, and getting him time if with Fisher out, um, I, I think had Fisher been healthy, there would be 
there would still be semi-open competition for that spot. But with Fisher out, Nicky looks like the favorite to carry that through the rest of the season once he's you know fit enough to start and into the postseason should United make it that far. Um, so getting him as many reps as possible makes a lot of sense. At the same time, you don't want to put him in too early and and risk a, a bad result against Dallas in a game that you know isn't a must win, uh, but is is a pretty important game. Uh, one more position to talk about: no changes here in this game, but I'm curious whether we'll see changes next week as Kofi Opari returns to full fitness at center back. Uh, Steve Stephen Birnbaum's position uh, seems pretty well set in stone. Uh, but Frederick Briant, who has come back in since Opari has been hurt, hasn't always been super convincing in the spot. Yeah. I mean, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, he got juked out of his shoes along with, uh, I think, Knaus yeah. on the Chicago goal. And that was indicative of his play in the couple of games that he's uh, started since Opari uh, has gone out injured. And I like Briant. Uh, I think he's a good guy, good personality, but it doesn't seem like at this point he fits in well with what this team wants to do. So I, 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 I want Opari to start. I would, I want, I would prefer at this point to see Jalen Robinson starting just like, it's not going well right now and something needs to change. Yeah. And I think with the opponents that, especially with Dallas, with the amount of speed that they have, that um, that's maybe what worries me about Briant is when, um, when players are getting out on the run, when, when they've got a chance to dribble at him, he's not the quickest. And that's what happened with the Edwards goal. It wasn't necessarily that um, Edwards put some sort of brilliant move on him. He just, gave a little shoulder fake and, and Briant bought it because he's looking, he, know, you know, he's a smart guy. He knows that he's facing the fastest player on Chicago and that if he, you know, if, if he doesn't respond quickly to something that he's going to get beaten. So he, that makes him prone to biting on that first look. And then, you know, he steps the wrong way and all of a sudden um, Edwards end up getting, getting himself a goal. Um Dallas has a bunch of fast players. They don't just have one. They've they've got a whole roster of them. Um, So that's a little bit of an alarming thing to me, especially um, because, you know, they used to, their situation used to be um, not necessarily much size up top, but now they've got Dominique Baji. So they've got speed and size with him. Um, So yeah, you know, it's kind of being put in a rock and a hard place because, um, we don't know where Opare is as far as his fitness goes. Um, with Robinson, you're, you've the concern is always going to be the battles in the air. Um, and now Dallas is the kind of team that can offer that. And, you know, after that, they've got TFC and Altador is back. Um, Giovinco is out there. So they've still got that combination with the way they, they play of having um, size and potential um, someone that can punish you for being a little slow of foot. So, you know, it, it's a difficult situation to be in as long as Opare is out. Um, I wonder how quickly he can return because I think once he returns, he's going to go straight back in as a starter because, you know, Briant hasn't been terrible, but he definitely hasn't used the opportunity to lock down the starting job again. I think it's clear that 
that job is still out there to be had. And Ben Olsen almost said as much, um, saying that Opari could step right back into the starting lineup Mm -hmm. once he's healthy. Um, All this despite the fact that United pitched a shutout. They got a clean sheet against Montreal and only gave up one goal against Chicago, but the margins are so fine right now that... Montreal could have scored several goals. Yeah, exactly. Um, that game, that game was really uh, a unicorn uh, in its way, and um, I don't think it was all brilliant by any means. But you know, if you're looking for a spot that could be upgraded, that isn't one that is obviously due to an injury. Um, I think, I think we're at the point where you're you're probably more worried about Briant than you are about Joseph Mora, which says something considering where we were a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, these are three points that DC United badly needed after Montreal dispatched the Columbus crew, uh, hashtag save the crew, uh, just not from Montreal, uh, earlier in the weekend, they, the impact beat Columbus three to nothing up in Montreal, um, which put the impact five points ahead of United. United needed these three points to, to bring that deficit back to two United now have their two games in hand. They will play those games in hand uh, over the next week and change against Dallas and against Toronto. And we will know by then where they stand on even terms with, uh, with Montreal worth noting right now that DC United has a magic number. uh, And that number is nine. Any combination uh, of Results that has United gaining points and Montreal dropping points. You add those together. Once they reach nine, United are in the playoffs. End of story. Uh, or, or beginning of story, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, Jason? Um, before, we, before we finish, I just wanted to mention that um, for someone that doesn't get a lot of uh, talk, I thought Junior Moreno found himself in a position to make a uh, make a big difference in this game he, he by winning that late penalty. And it's not the run we've seen him make. He's generally not that guy getting into the box at all. Yeah. That's, um, that's more a Knauss run typically. Yeah. Um, you know, the way that midfield is set up Moreno's job is oftentimes like the only time he goes in the opposing 18 is to celebrate a goal. Um, it's, he, he's not in there at all. So, um, it, it speaks to his evolution as a player. I think he's gotten better as the season has gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also speaks to um, United's continued desperation to get points. Um, I think if this were a typical season and maybe they were in a playoff spot, if they were sitting in, like on Philadelphia's point total, um, I'm thinking that maybe the bench is telling Moreno, like, don't don't make that extra run. Just stay, hold your position like you normally do and don't take that risk. And in this situation, he was given the green light, you know, because Canals, it wasn't like Canals was underneath him. That that was a, um, a risky choice that he was taking, but he was like, you know, we, we need something. We need that burst through this line to get the ball into the box and get it on someone's foot. Um, and that's, I, I think that's an important step for him as he learns, um, as he learns the league that, um, you can really catch. I mean, some of the best defensive midfielders in this league have a tendency to get themselves into a dangerous spot once or twice a game. Um, Dax McCarty is is a good example of that. Someone that has that responsibility to be the deepest man for Chicago, and yet you still find him popping up from time to time in a, a goal scoring spot or a spot where he can create a chance for somebody else. So, um, 
I thought that was an, it's an important play for Moreno, not just for helping the team get the win, but also maybe for um, going forward him, you know, getting, having that it's, it's one thing to know it, you know, as theory in, in training and whatnot, or on video, they can say, Hey, when you make this run, it's going to be effective. It's another thing when you actually do it and you see the, the positive outcome from it. Um, and sometimes players need that. They just need that, that one play where it actually works and they say, okay, now I get it. Um, and hopefully that's what we see, you know, hopefully they don't need him to make that run too often. Um, but it's, it, it would be nice to have it, uh, in the back pocket. And despite what certain announcers initially said, it was obviously a hundred percent a penalty. It, it, yeah, it, it was a smart play by Junior Moreno to put him, his body between the defender and the ball. And that in no way diminishes the fact that it was a penalty. Right. Right. The, the, exactly. That the, the one doesn't affect the calculus in the other. It was just a, it was a good play by him and it bought a penalty. Um, worth noting that Moreno and Segura will both be missing for these next two games against Dallas and Toronto. They'll be with their national teams. Uh, congrats to them on getting called up and, and, you know, Boom preemptive congrats to Chris Durkin who will be uh, (laughs) uh, starting in these two very important games one of which we will be talking about right after this stick around it's filibuster hey Ben um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you you can tell Uh, me depends I mean well I should ask you I mean is our goats hostile uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. FC Dallas are unbeaten since August. Uh, They made it all the way through September without losing a match. Not unlike a certain other team you might root for if you are listening to this show. Uh, FC Dallas currently sit atop MLS's Western Conference. Uh, In four games since getting their backline healthy, they've given up a grand total of one goal. They'll be standing between United and three very valuable points this weekend at Audi Field, Saturday night um, or Saturday late afternoon. Um, an oddly specific 455 kickoff. Watch it on Univision or Twitter if you're not able to get down to Buzzard Point in person for this one. Uh, Jason, I mentioned 
the improved defense for FC Dallas. Their team website is actually billing this as the 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 best defense in the league over the last month versus the best offense in the league over the last month, which would be DC United. Um, what what makes their D so good? Is this just getting their starting de- defenders, their starting backline healthy and together again, or is there something more? I mean, it's definitely part of it. It's just they've assembled a back four that's a, extremely talented. Um, even when uh, Antonia Nedelkov, their um, Bulgarian they picked up in the winter, who was supposed to be their big um, defensive acquisition, he left um, in the middle of the season. He went back to Europe, and they went and found uh, uh, Marquinhos Pedroso, who has played in Brazil. He's played in Turkey. He was playing for... Um, one of Hungary's uh, best teams. So this is not like an Andrea Mancini level uh, kind of player. Um, he came in and immediately was the starter and and filled the left back in um, at a really high level. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just they've got really talented players playing those four positions. Reggie Cannons with the national team, uh, Matt Hedges and Reto Ziegler are probably, in my opinion, at least the best center back pairing in the league. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Oscar Pereja has them extremely well drilled. They're they're always organized. They don't really make a ton of mistakes. So um, those good defensive players aren't exposed very much. So it's just a it's exactly it's like a textbook version of if you wanted to have your team not give up many goals in MLS, what do you do? You uh, do a good job preparing your team so that you don't do so, and then you put really good players in the starting uh, positions in the back four, and you let them loose and. Um, it, it works. I mean, it, it's Dallas isn't the funnest team in the world to watch, but they, they're one of the best in the league for a reason. They've changed up their attack a little bit, uh, in, in recent weeks, Maxi Arudi, who has played as a forward, uh, in, in his stops in MLS, including in Dallas has kind of taken on the playmaking mantle, dropping down into that, uh, attacking midfield spot. Uh, he he doesn't play the same way as say a Mauro Diaz used to play it for Dallas, but he's seems to be getting assists for them and, and they're scoring enough goals to, like I said, at the top, put them on top of the Western conference. Yeah. He's got seven assists in the last six games. Um, so he's been really effective. Um, he's not really, like you said, he's not really a traditional player in that role. Um, it's not really about, his passing vision or his um, technical ability so much as it is his energy, his mobility, um, his persistence. Uh, he, he's a guy that just never, ever stops running. Um, and he's good at finding pockets of space. And at that point, he doesn't need to be particularly uh, talented. He doesn't have to be Moro Diaz level in certain terms of skill because he gets himself into spaces where it's, it's easy for him. Um, he makes the game easy for himself and for his teammates. Um, some of it is just that persistence though. It's sort of a quantity over quality approach. Um, and it also comes back to Dallas wanting to be a team that makes it hard for other teams. And so they disrupt you. And then all of a sudden, um, he's on the ball with numbers up, um, when they, when they force those turnovers, they don't necessarily high press, but, um, when they do opt to press, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty impressive, pretty well-organized press and he's a big part of it. So, um, He's it's definitely not what people were expecting to happen when they signed um, Pablo Arangis. He was supposed to just walk into Diaz's uh, role and he's wearing the 10 jersey. But 
Um, Uruti has been there uh, for I th- I think it's seven straight games, six six or seven straight games, and and in that time he's been really able to to get the job done. So it's not a conventional look, but it's been effective. Uh, Dallas, like DC United, is going to be missing some players. We mentioned Junior Moreno and Lucy Segura being out for national team call-ups. Jason, who's Dallas going to be missing for this one? Uh, they've got uh, Reggie Cannon, their right back, is going to be out. Um, Carlos Guerrezo, their number six, is going to be out. And Maynor Figueroa, who hasn't really been starting very much this year, but they when Dallas goes into the lead and they come in late into a game, um, they've got no problem bringing in um, Figueroa and going to a back five. Um, so those three are going to be unavailable. Um, Cannon, they're probably going to replace with Ryan Hollingshead, who um, we talked a lot uh, earlier this season about as a, a potential left back upgrade for DC. Um, Hollingshead is actually right footed. He's played plenty of right back. He's also played as a winger on both sides. He's just one of those guys that can, um, fill in all four of those spots without any real drop off. Um, he started last week. I think, um, he started at left back last week and I think it was to get him a game so that he was just up to speed for this game. Um, so they gave Pedroso the game off, um, and put Hollingshead in and now, um, Hollingshead will just move over in the cannon spot and Pedroso will come back into the lineup. So they probably won't miss a beat as far as, you know, it, it's a little bit of a loss with, with cannon out, but it's not a big loss by any stretch. Um, the Grueso situation is a little more up in the air because they've got um, Abel Aguilar, who is, he's 33, but he was in Colombia's world cup squad uh, this past summer. Um, he's got 71 caps for Colombia. So he's a legitimate, uh, a pretty, high-end player, but he hasn't played very much since coming to MLS. I think they've been trying to let him um, rest uh, after having the the World Cup to deal with. Um, so they could bring him in as the starter. They could also go with um, uh, Ja'Cory Hayes, who's from uh, who's from the area. He's, he's a Maryland guy, and he played really well in the early part of the season um, before uh, – not before. I guess I should say that um, – Oscar Pereja wasn't really happy with uh, Guerrezo at the time, and Hayes got those starts instead. Um, Guerrezo picked his level of play up, and Hayes has been out on the outside looking in, but um, Pereja took the time to mention Hayes and not just say, yeah, Aguilar's going to come in. So it's probably going to be Aguilar, but it could it could be Hayes because it's a game against a team that you know from his neck of the woods. Um, maybe adding that little bit of energy that Aguilar is, is a little bit of a slower player. Um, so that that might be in Pareja's mind as far as that that goes. Um, with Figueroa, if they if they are in a position where they can bring in that fifth defender, it'll probably be Chris Reeves, who's a, an academy player for them. But you know, hopefully, we're not talking about that because if they bring in that fifth defender, it means it's like the 85th minute and they're winning, which would be pretty bad news. So um, let's hope that we don't find out who the replacement for Figueroa is. Uh, worth noting that Darren Maddox and Dane Kelly for DC United will also miss this game. Unlike the other call-ups, they should be back for the Toronto game, but they will not be available um, off the bench or otherwise uh, against Dallas. Uh, ben, DC United have, have been a little vulnerable on the, the counterattack, which is one of the ways that FC Dallas likes to, to attack. Um, we talked about Frederick Briant in, in the last game. What, what do you think United need to do and, and to 
kind of shore up that vulnerability. We talked about against Montreal, they they kept a clean sheet, but very easily could have shipped a couple of goals. And then obviously Raheem Edwards goal against uh, or for Chicago. Yeah. Uh, I am a w- well-known proponent of Jalen Robinson's athleticism. And I know that he gives up some height against a very tall FC Dallas team, but I feel like his, I feel like Frederick Briant hasn't done well enough to justify having his height in there. And I feel like, uh, uh, Jalen Robinson's athleticism is at least on the table enough to counter FC Dallas's a- athleticism. Um, I think it is a tough situation, but I think that it's one you got to roll the dice with. Brian's been not that great these past couple of games, and given a game where if they lose, it's not the end of the world because. FC Dallas is so much better, but they need to win this game. They they can if Montreal wins out, they have to win three of four games to uh beat Montreal to get into the playoffs. So I think you roll the dice and start a more athletic player against a more athletic team and see where the chips go from there. Uh, Briant's passing hasn't been, I mean, that, that was what he was really brought in to do was to, to pass the ball well from that center back spot. And also, you know, the, be the big central defender, but his passing hasn't, I I think hasn't been, uh, as compelling as, as it probably should be. Right. And, Uh, and especially since Knauss's passing has been so good, if you just funnel up to Knauss, Knauss can fill that role. Right. And in, in this one with Junior Moreno gone, uh, I, I'm not even going to ask the question who who slides into that spot. It'll be Chris well, yeah. Durkin, um, who who's also pretty well known for passing. Uh, one key for this one is going to be not making stupid passes in the middle third of the field because Dallas will be down the defense's throat so fast that those kind of turnovers and and they've made a couple in the last couple games. Um, they they could be deadly against Dallas. They, they could be deadly against Montreal and we survived those, but you don't want to press that luck any farther than you have to. Um, I didn't mention it during our off air rundown of what was going to happen, but I want to talk about Oscar Pereja. Um, during the Jurgen Klinsmann era, he was the name I probably held up the most as what a competent coach uh, who, who can win while developing young talent could and could take over the U.S. national team. Uh, there was a rumor, I think, that he met with U.S. soccer officials to uh, discuss the the, the position, uh, or that he interviewed with Ernie Stewart for it. He denied it, but I, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on Oscar Preha uh, and, and whether he would be more likely to uh, to get us to talk, want to talk about the U.S. men's national team more than we have recently for obvious reasons. I mean, I'd rather have him get the job than Greg Berhalter at this point. Um, for sure. I mean, I, I don't, I think Berhalter is, is a fine coach, but I think Pareja, um, there are issues. It's not like Pareja doesn't have any flaws on his resume, but they're all playoff flaws. Um, when it comes to the regular season, it always seems like he has a, a clear vision of what he wants his team to do. 
He understands how to work around what flaws his team has. Um, he usually gets his younger players to improve rapidly, which is now becoming a bigger thing with the national team. When you look at the the squads that have been called in, um, I, I think overall you would see a team that is much more defensively solid from front to back. I think you'd see um, a team that is more able, ready and able to fight than maybe they have been in the last few years. Um, Prairie House teams are nothing if not combative. Uh, they, they do not give you an inch ever. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's also been willing to um, adjust to, you know, if he loses a player for a time, he doesn't just plug in um, the next best guy. He looks at, uh, you know, maybe he has to shift formation to get his best group of players on the field without player A or player B. Um, I think that flexibility is more important with the national team because it's not like you can say, hey, go sign someone new. You're just stuck with the guys that are there. Um, I mean, you can always... Uh, you can put you can put anyone at left back like uh, Torres. <laughs> yeah, or, or you know one of us, Jesse um, Hardes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Pereja would the find dumbest thing I've ever seen. He, he would find solutions that we. I mean, some of it is just doing the smart thing and doing it well, which isn't maybe the most fun thing to talk about, but it's oftentimes the secret to a national team that doesn't have a huge amount of talent being successful is that they just do a bunch of smart things repeatedly. Um, and it's not, you don't have to be a genius. You just have to be like, Oh, that's the right idea and not outthink yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I think he should be on the the radar. I think it's also important that uh, U S soccer do a- anything to show uh, to uh, the Hispanic community that, that they're interested in their thoughts and opinions, because in this last cycle, one thing that we kept coming back to was, that U.S. soccer did not seem to be interested in in those opinions at all. So um, talking to someone like Pereja is a good idea. He's also he's played abroad. He's played in MLS. He's coached in MLS. Um, I think he's got a good understanding of the two worlds that the national team job kind of has to understand. So um, I, I'm not saying he absolutely should be the coach, but given that Burhalter appears to be top of the, the list of favorites right now, I would rather it read that Pereja is top of the list of favorites. I'd almost, yeah, I, I mean, this is a big aside, but I don't, I'd prefer uh, Vermeer over Burhalter at this point, but that's a far different he, conversation. I'm, yeah. And you guys know, I don't like Peter Vermees at all, but I think he would right. do a better job with the national team than, than Burhalter right now. Um, again, because it's the clarity of, of vision. I think, Pereja is like Vermees in that he knows exactly what he wants out of his team and he's able to explain it to them, Um, which I I feel like maybe Klinsman had a clarity of vision for himself and he just was totally unable to explain it to anyone and then got mad at them when they didn't get it. Um, Whereas Pereja and Vermees have shown repeatedly that even with young players, even with players that are new new to the league, they can give them the instructions they need to actually implement whatever the game plan is. It's because it's not just having a good game plan. You have to be able to tell people uh, how to do it or else it, you might as well have a terrible game plan. It doesn't matter. Um, right. And I, I think, think Berhalter, that- he, he has a clarity of vision. Like he, he famously has his system, right. Mm-hmm. That is really good at generating tap-ins for, for his strikers in MLS, whether that, that particular system can translate and he's, he's made it work 
you know, he he's also shown some pragmatism coming out in uh, a lower block when it when it makes sense to. But right. he's he, I'm with you guys. He's not my favorite. I like Preha uh, better. I even like Vermees better, just like you guys do. Uh, the big flashing green light for for Preha though is his youth development. He he did it in Colorado. He made the Colorado Rapids good and fun at the same time, <laughs> which, which makes no sense. Um, and he was only there for a year and then got hired by Dallas where he had connections and kind of, it was his dream job to take over at FC Dallas. And he got that opportunity and, and jumped over and made them good. And when they have all the pieces together, they can be really fun too. Um, and right now they don't have all the pieces that, that he might want, but they're still really good, even if they're not as fun as maybe they, they could be. And that kind of ability to be good in different ways, all while bringing through youth like Kellen Acosta and uh, Danny. No, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on, on some of the, the other names, but Jesse Gonzalez, who's obviously playing for Mexico, but Victor Yoa is going to yeah. start for them this weekend. He's another, like an unremarkable Academy product who has been under Pereira's tutelage come become a pretty solid MLS starter. Yeah. That, that ability to coach up youth while still not necessarily coaching them out of what makes them who they are right. is something a lot of American coaches don't have and putting that on the national team makes a lot of sense. I think if, if the U S is going to hire somebody from MLS for this job and that person's not Tata Martino, who's in a class by himself because he's Tata Martino, uh, Pereja is the, the clear top name, um, in, in my mind. Refocusing back on this game this weekend, Jason, what on your mind, what in, uh, in your mind uh, are the keys to game planning against Pereja and FC Dallas? Um, I mean, top of the list has to be keeping control of the tempo and preventing those um, uh, counterattacks. They've got to, the turn, if DC is going to turn the ball over, it can't be in a situation where Dallas can get out on the run immediately. Um, which means we might see them dump the ball in behind a little more often. Um, rather, it might be a little bit of a lower risk um, approach to attacking than we've seen at times um, because you're one bad pass away from Dallas's front four getting out on the run. And when they get on the run, you're in deep trouble. Um, so that's that's a big factor is, is they're probably going to have a ton of possession. It's probably going to be 56, 57 percent possession for dc at the end of at the end of the day um it's just a matter of are they turning the ball over in dangerous spots or are they turning the ball over when there's not really um much of a worry um that's that's a pretty big key and the other thing that is going to worry me until the game is over is going to be set pieces because dallas has a a huge team um and dc as we've talked about a few times now does not have a lot of size um even even bringing durkin in for moreno that that doesn't really bridge the gap between these two. I mean, Hollingshead is like six, four and he's going to come in. Um, it's, it's really difficult because Dallas is really, really good um, at leveraging that size. Uh, they, they don't have world-class service, but the service is usually good enough that with their number of targets that someone wins the battle for the ball. Um, some of it is that old fashioned getting his players to just 
win those individual battles. Um, this past week uh, against Orlando, they got a headed headed set piece goal from Uyoa, who's like five nine, um, and it's just him, him and his him and his man both getting an arm on each other, and who who wins that fight in that uh, mass of players uh, running onto the loose ball, and it's it's Uyoa that who that I mean he deserves some credit. He he basically lays out for a diving header and puts the ball into the lower corner. Um, but none of that happens if he isn't winning that fight with one person. Um, and that's going to be DC's thing is uh, they're going to give away some size. So they have to make sure they're at least not losing those battles. If they're um, fighting it to a draw, they're probably not going to give up a goal. But if they start losing those individual battles, um, the offense is going to have to score a lot of goals to keep up because, you know, Dallas has no problem coming in, killing a game and winning two nothing on a couple set piece goals. They're fine with that. That's kind of their bread and butter. Um, so yeah, uh, as far as United goes, like if they commit a foul, it better be, it better be worth it. It better be a foul that they had to commit because these set piece opportunities with Matt hedges in there. Um, Dom Baji has been really good since he got to Dallas. Um, they're just they're really good at turning them into into goals and goal scoring opportunities consistently. It's not just sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. It just seems like every single week their set piece play is, is up among the best. So that's what to watch out for. Uh, one thing I think is kind of interesting is you, you mentioned those individual battles, um, a lot of which is uh, are captured in the duels statistic every week. And it it feels like one in the age of, you know, pretty soccer and uh, advanced analytics that the dual statistic would not have that much relevance. But it seems like it really does, because when a team wins those duels, more and more now they're able to turn that into something. And it seems like both Dallas and D.C. are teams that know what to do with the ball once they win a duel and find themselves in, in any kind of advantageous opportunity. So, um I, 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 that's what I'm going to be watching out for. Um, and I think that's probably where the game will be decided. Uh, hopefully in DC United's favor. Yeah. Go send your wing. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of filibuster. Find us at black support us financially. If you're so inclined at patreon.com slash filibuster, we are on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U for the website. All our personal Twitter accounts are available, uh, are, are linked on the, the podcast Twitter page. Uh, send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com subscribe, uh, rate, review, do whatever you feel like doing on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the podcatcher of your choice, wherever you get podcasts, uh, find us there and, and do what you will. I guess I, I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> no, 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 no. Mostly though, please tell a friend about the show, uh, whether it's, uh, before the game, uh, uh, on Saturday or or at a bar somewhere, just just find a random person if they seem to like soccer and mention us. Uh, it, it'll totally go well for you. There, there are no losers possible in that scenario. It'll go really, really well. I promise. Um, I don't promise. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Oh, yeah.